Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. $2 late fee. You have one new message. Hello there. It's me, Satan. Listen, you guys are in deep shit. Wait a minute. Did that outgoing message say $2 late fee? Oh, crap. I meant to leave a message for $3 late fee. I'm so stupid. Uh, is there a way to erase this? Or... Oh, man. Uh, anyway, uh, keep up the good work, guys. I love you. Bye. Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. <laughs> Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. This is really exciting. It, it's uh, it's spooky times again. The, the spooky sounds can only mean one thing: that we're revisiting, we're revisiting some horror. We haven't done it in a while, have we, Zach? We haven't. We haven't done it in well over a year, I think. Uh, yeah, cue the the uh, rip off Halloween music, rip off Jaws music, rip off any music. I don't really. I don't know. I mean, these years feel so, so long to me. I was like, the last time we talked about any kind of horror, I, I, was like, I don't I don't remember when that was. Well, our, our last horror episode devoted to horror was when we interviewed Brad Fidel and we broke down our top five uh, horror films soundtracks or something like that. Yes, Anyways, we did. If you haven't heard that, guys, go back and listen. Yeah, to it, go back and really listen good. to it. That was cool. That, yeah, horror horror soundtrack specific. Uh, today, we're, we're, we're doing something um, a little bit 
different. This is a little, you know, this is out, this is out of my wheelhouse. I'll be the first one to say, you know, um, when I somehow, you know, growing up in the eighties, I watched all the mainstream stuff. I watched all the, I watched all the, um, you know, the, the nightmare on Elm streets, the, the Freddy's, the Michael Myers, uh, the Halloween's all the standard stuff. But when it comes to the obscure things, I was not as, as well versed. So, uh, this, this is great. And we have a very, very special guest with us today. We have Chris Mayek. Did I pronounce your name right, Chris? Yeah, you're all good. <laughs> and, um, and a, a little bit of backstory about how Chris and I met because it's, it's one of those auspicious meetings. Uh, I voice a character in a video game called Fire Emblem Heroes. And Fire Emblem has a very, uh, you know, it's, it's been around for years and years and years, the, the Fire Emblem Nintendo brand. But, um, but Fire Emblem Heroes is kind of a newer game, but the audience is, is devoted, it's loyal. Um, and so before I even knew that I was announced in this game, I got an email from from Chris, who basically said to me, hey, you know, I, uh, I've been interviewing everybody in, in, in the Fire Emblem world uh, for the Reddit. Uh, would you like to, you know, come on and, and, and interview with me? And I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. Cut to, you know, a few weeks later, whenever it was that we had set it up, maybe uh, it's, it's sort of irrelevant, the timeline. But what is important is that the day of our interview, I was editing our interview with Michael Perret. And I had the thought, you know, before I interview with Chris, let me go see what he's done. Let me let me go take a gander, see what's going on there. So I uh, go into his into his extensive YouTube, and literally, literally, this is the first thing I see is an interview with Michael Perret, and my brain stopped. I was like, I was looking around. Are there cameras? Has this been set up? I don't know what to do. I'm looking further. You know, I'm seeing that Chris has interviewed a lot of the same people we've interviewed. There's some Joyce Heiser in there. But it doesn't stop there, right? Because Chris has also interviewed Leah Thompson. He's interviewed Rosanna Arquette. Rosanna, I, I learned her name D. is Rosanna. D. Wallace Stone. D. Wallace Stone. So, you know, and on top of like every voice actor in the world. But, you know, yeah. but, but so, and the twist here, everybody is, so Chris has interviewed all these people. But the twist here is that Chris is 25 years old. And he's your son. And he's my son. <laughs> Apparently, I had a child, <laughs> a birthed a child in 1997. Um, From with me, with yeah, with you. I think, you know. So, so the point is, is that before Junior, Chris was me born many, many years after you know our entire uh, our, what what we what we talk about every day here on the podcast. What we all these movies that bring us nostalgia. For Chris, they don't bring him nostalgia because Chris wasn't alive. <laughs> so he was a zombie. He, he he wasn't alive. But so Chris and I have the interview, and Chris blows me away with his knowledge of 80s movies. And dare I say, Zach, I think at, at, at various points during the interview, I say, this guy might know more than we do. I mean, I, I, but, but but you know, but I'm not saying that aloud. I'm just thinking that to myself. And I'm like, oh, but that's such a bold statement. I mean, could could that be possible? So anyway, very long story short. I, we decided Chris had to be a part of this show. He knows so much about 80s movies, guys. And also, and I do want to say, and this is like the longest intro I've ever given anybody, Chris, but thank you for bearing with us. But that you also, you at some point in the middle of the pandemic decided, I want to interview people. So you just started doing that and you now have interviewed 
I, I don't even, I was like 250, but now how many people have you interviewed now? Uh, it's 257. Yeah. 257, wow. 257 interviews in less than two years. It's yeah. Just, just slightly over like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's a lot of talking and a lot of listening. Yep. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very, very admirable. I obviously, I told you that during our, during our interview. Uh, but so Chris, very excited to have you here today, especially to talk about today's topic, which is a uh, sort of obscure, obscure eighties horror, Thanks. Um, yeah. which, uh, you know, and I, <laughs> and of course I bring up, you know, we, we, we have each picked top, top three or, or three, you know, uh, cause when you revisit some, maybe you're like, oh, these aren't really my top necessarily. Um, but, uh, you know, when I told Chris, Zach and I's picks, he's like, oh yeah, yeah I've seen all those. And I have like most of them on VHS. Is, is that accurate? <laughs> I, mean, I don't think I own, I don't, I mean, I've seen all of them. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't own all of them. But oh. I gotta, I gotta jump in really quick though and ask you, Chris, and, and, and thank you again for being on our show. Yeah. This is exciting. I'm, I'm like I said, uh, at the onset, I'm happy that we get to talk about something that I love so much that we don't typically cover a whole lot of, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was raised, I was raised in front of a TV and was raised with horror films, having a brother five years older than me and bringing home stacks of VHS tapes from the video store and saying, what are we going to watch tonight? And he's like, we're watching this. I'm like, I don't want to, no, you have to, it's forced to watch some of these blood curdling films that I now love so much. Um, but you're, you, you're, like Dustin said, considerably younger than us. How did you like get your, would you say horror is your favorite genre or psychological horror or anything like that? Yeah. In terms of, um, movies that I watch, definitely. And, um, I guess, yeah, I could say the same with anime too, because I'm a huge anime person, but, um, definitely with film and, uh, TV media it's, and books, it's definitely horror is my favorite. What was it about it that like you found appealing from the start? I don't know. I guess I think honestly it started with when I was really young. Um, the first movie I can remember watching that where my eyes were covered for several scenes was the original Fright Night. Oh, so good choice. I think that kind of just instilled everything. I don't know how to really explain it, but. Well, well, then let me follow up with that. What was it about Fright Night that got you? Like, what was it? Because that that movie got me too. Okay, yeah. Um, I loved the I loved the cover artwork a lot, and um, the the way that the way that it ends, you know, with Evil Ed's red eyes, and that just always yeah. stuck with me. And I thought that was really cool and creepy. And um, the makeup art with all the transformation scenes even when I, even when I was a kid seeing that I thought that was incredible uh yeah I guess it's pretty much a combination of all those things nice right on well I echo that as well and what an amazing and Jerry Dandridge <laughs> what an amazing perspective though because you you know are growing up in a time when you know transformation effects are much more evolved and yet you know here you are as a child saying like no this is this is still affecting you. It's not like, it's not like you've been, um, you know, what's the word like desensitized right. to certain things and looking at the 80. Cause I yeah. feel like most 25 year olds look at the 80s stuff and go like, Oh, that's so, you know, that's so lame or that's not really scary. So yeah. Looking. It's cheesy. Yeah. 
you know? And for us, it's like, these were images that are, are burned into our brains because we were so young when we saw them. Um, yeah. And you start to like, remember them in a different way. You know, you start, they, they take on a life of their own and then you like, whoa. So I just think that's, uh, that's very interesting. And yeah, and Fright Night is certainly one of Zach's favorites. Yeah. It is. It's in my top 10 for sure. But I, I think, yeah, and Chris, what, what you're saying, Dustin, is right. I think so many people oftentimes, younger people will look at things and go, oh, yeah, that was so cheap or whatever. But Chris, maybe you have a greater appreciation because you know the hard work that went into said effects, mm -hmm. right? And, 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 and the practical effects. I'm not besmirching digital at all. I'm not a fan of CGI, but there's something about those practical effects that stay with you. And you think about how much time this took to put, you know, this stuff together. Stephen Jeffries, who I, I interviewed a while back, uh, it, he had said how he was sitting in a chair for like nine hours, practically putting on the effects for his evil Ed outfit. And it's just insane the amount of time and energy that, especially back then when the technology wasn't readily available like it is today. Right. You, know? you can go to a spirit store for Halloween and get some of the stuff that they were do using back in the day. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think it's great that you have this appreciation and fondness and to pick out some more uh, lesser known horror films. I know I, I like Dustin. I like how you said maybe not our top three, but just three that are lesser known because maybe that speaks to your personal uh, three that you 100%, chose. 100% <laughs> because what happened to me and just, you know, uh, again, to, to explain to everybody kind of how we did this, right. We each have our, our three movies, but the, the thing with me was I had to, I had to really dig deep, right, to, to just kind of imagery in my mind, things that seem significant that I'd maybe seen a little bit of or whatever, and and just kind of commit to those. And then now that I've sort of revisited all this, I, I've loved this exercise for a lot of reasons, you know, mostly because, like, I just love watching this. I, I, I said to Zach, I was like, I, I, I want more. Like, I want more obscure 80s horror uh, because oh, we'll this, give you more. This, is, this has been incredible. But the fact is, is like, you know, certain ones of these I looked at and I was like, okay, I kind of remembered that differently, or I definitely do not remember this at all, you know? Um, yeah. and, uh, so, so that's part of it. So I think we should get into it. Cause obviously there's a, there's a lot to cover here. We won't spend too much time on any one movie cause we're going to cover nine different, uh, films, but Chris, you are our guest please, uh, you know, start us off and, and, and tell us, you know, it doesn't have to be in an order exactly if you haven't, if you haven't done that, but give us, you know, your number three. Um, yeah. So the third one, I guess would be, um, happy birthday to me. Someone's having a party for the top 10, the senior class snobs before they get to celebrate six of them will die in the most bizarre ways you'll ever see. Virginia, don't go away. Come over here, Virginia. It is up to you to determine whether you wish to subject yourself to fear, terror, and shock. Because of the bizarre nature of this birthday party, pray you are not invited. First time I saw that, I was probably 
freshman in high school, I found it at Goodwill, like the original VHS release. Um, and I had already been pretty familiar with 80s horror at that point in my life. And I just thought with Happy Birthday to me that, you know, it wasn't just a normal slasher movie. It was, there was a lot of twists in it that were well done. It was kind of, a, it was a mind game kind of thing. Um, it was a pretty good cast, you know, with uh, Melissa Sue Anderson being the lead. And uh, the deaths were very creative. And um, I just thought that it, it even stands up now. That's uh, not really, not really corny. It's effective, in my opinion. And I've seen it several times since the first time I saw it. And it just always stuck with me in terms of, especially in terms of slasher movies from back then. But you can view it as a psychological horror piece as well. Yeah. One, one quick aside, cause you mentioned, you know, you, you're buying these things on VHS. So you, are you an active VCR user? Um, I still use mine. I don't really actively collect tapes as much anymore. I still have all the collection of stuff that I bought um, or traded or whatever back when I was actively in the VHS collecting community. Um, but I don't, yeah. Like I still actively use my VCR. I just don't seek out tapes as much anymore. Okay. Got it. Were you finding that you were the youngest person in the in the VHS community, yeah, I was one of them. Yeah, yeah. okay, I would I would assume so. <laughs> Technology you did not grow up with, you did not utilize, and yeah. uh, and I love that. Okay, uh, Zach, do you have thoughts on Happy Birthday to Me? Well, first of all, I, the fact that Chris says he went to a Goodwill and found a VHS copy of it, I want to know where that Goodwill store is, <laughs> and I want to go there like now because they probably got some gold that well you probably already got all the gold but anyways um yeah i saw this movie when i was a kid with my brother uh i i remember the tagline or the poster being something about the six most bizarre murders you'll see on screen something like that and re-watching it again i'm like are those really six of the most bizarre murders i've ever seen on screen maybe not maybe not um but but what i loved about it and this is going to be a reoccurring theme with a lot of these movies is Canada knows how to scare the shit out of people. Mm -hmm. Canada knows how to effectively make something um, semi-original. I mean, this is 1981, and you feel like so many movies that have come out after this have really used this template. Uh, maybe not specifically with the kills, but just just that idea of like the psychological horror, and is this, is this in her head, or is it not? I had to look up uh, Melissa Sue Anderson, because I'm like, I forgot what she was from and being from little house on the prairie in the eighties is a big deal because back then you didn't do genre things nest primarily you, you stuck, you stayed in your lane, right? You, because you didn't want to, you want to hurt your brand. Nowadays it's about just doing everything. Yep. And um, I, I loved it. I love watching it again, kind of reading up on the backstory of why, the ending became the ending that it is. And I don't want to really spoil a lot of these because I feel them yeah. being obscure. People should go out and watch them. Um, knowing that the ending wasn't supposed to go the way it finally did on screen is an interesting twist um, to add to the twist. And I loved it. <laughs> I, I loved it. I loved everything about it. And I love Canadian horror. Obviously black Christmas is one that people always bring up, but prom night and um, uh, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of any other Canadian horse specifically, but I know that, you know, this genre is is strong in Canada. So Canada, once again, for the win. How about you, Doug? Canada for the win. The one the one main note that I wrote is there's nothing sexier than a meat skewer. 
Um, obviously, there's a sort of a pivotal. Oh, and Matt Craven. Uh, Matt, Matt Craven. Craven. That that was a, obviously Matt Craven is on my is on my notes as well. Um, seeing Matt Craven. Matt Craven's a big uh, recurring uh, guy for us. We um, did we cover K two? K two. We did cover K two. K two. Did we talk about? He's it? He's the lead in K two. Yeah, but we we talked about it with Luca. With Luca. Oh my god! I was like, right. I, yeah. I'm like we recently did something with K two. Um, yeah, Matt Craven. Um, you know, it's. It's funny, this kind of this idea of like the quote top 10, because these are these kids and they're like the top 10 of the class. And of course, like mm -hmm. they're all uh, the whitest white kids you've ever seen. And, uh, you know, they they are slowly getting picked off. And and yes, the whole the whole purpose of why we're discussing this really is to get our listeners to to kind of get intrigued by these movies and be like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to watch this. And this was. This was super fun. I um, I didn't have a lot to, you know, not enjoy other than some a couple of things that did happen at the end that I, you know, that, that I do have some questions about. But I, I yeah, I do not want to. I do not want to spoil it. Um, great pick, and it really is. It's it's super fun. Mm -hmm. It's super fun. So, and I want to point out one more thing about this movie. Look at the cover art of the film. And then focus in on when the, the person who gets that kill, because that kill will come up in the movie, John, quote unquote. Uh, let us know if uh, that that tracks <clears throat> with the movie is because there is a poster. There's a poster with the meat skewer. Yes. Right. And the guy's yeah. name is John, I think. There's a VHS cover, too. Yep. That's that has the meat skewer or that's that one's different. No, it's okay. the same thing. OK, yeah. Yeah, so that's yeah, that. John will never eat shish kebab <laughs> again. <laughs> Matt Craven, oh my god. Um, I, I, so, so I believe it's Mill Creek put out a Blu-ray of Happy Birthday to Me, and they put it in a cool VHS slipcover. It looks like a retro VHS box. So, oh, nice. cheap plug to them. You can find it on YouTube. I think most of these movies you can find on YouTube. In fact, uh, if if in our show notes, I'll put links to the YouTube versions of these if you want to watch them. Uh, or you can order the physical copy because, as you know, we love our physical media. We do. Um, awesome. Zach, you want to take us take us to your number three? I, my number three, yes. And, and just for full disclosure, I'm going in um, uh, the year they were released order. It has nothing to do with oh, okay. my personal I like, I like that. I like that. So I'm going to start with the earliest one and then end with the latest one, Great. obviously. Um, yeah, my film comes from another country as well. And it is 1981's Strange Behavior. Strange Behavior. A movie of mystery, horror, and suspense. Clear and unnatural picture begins to form in my mind. They're gonna strap me into some chair and pull around with my grace. Would you just yeah. wait a minute and listen to me? Two sessions, two days, a hundred bucks a day. Behavior is nothing more than the sum of the mechanical activities <laughs> of our bodies. I was just wondering, are you doing anything tonight? Oh, two. He's dead, and the dead don't come back and take revenge. We've heard your views on our work in the past, Mr. Brady. Save the crap for somebody else. You got a list of people in the program. Now just relax, Pete. It'll be over in no time. 
It started all over again. Let me go! Let me go! Strange behavior. Uh, Dustin will love the fact that it's only 87 minutes long. Uh, Strange behavior, aka Dead Kids. There's a whole story behind why the name Dead Kids did not track as well as Strange Behavior in the US, at least. <laughs> but um, it starts out as a kind of traditional, somewhat, you know, slasher movie where there's a there's a there's a, a mysterious death that may or may not have multiple killers linked to it. But the movie progressively gets into more bizarre territory and more um, sci-fi-esque horror, if you will, uh, scientist-esque horror. And it's got an amazing soundtrack by Tangerine Dream. It's got one of, in my opinion, one of the best random dance sequences in a movie. 100%. Uh, a, movie, a song called Lightning 100%. Strikes, which is just a kick-ass song. Uh, we'll play a little bit of it. Dan Shore stars in it. Dan Shore, who most people will know is Billy the Kid from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Ram from Tron. Um, this was his starring movie. And Michael Murphy, who we love from Cloak and Dagger fame, is in it. Uh, Louise Fletcher from Best of the Best fame. <laughs> Sorry, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> Nurse Re one Best flew over of the, the Best. Nest. Uh, she's in it. Fiona Lewis. And you may be like, who the hell's Fiona Lewis? Uh, go watch Inner Space, Joe Dante's Inner Space. She's in it as well. Uh, and then a guy named Mark McClure, who we know as, well, from Superman. He's Jimmy Olsen. And he was Dave McFly from Back to the Future. He has a very uh, semi-small role, but, but important role. Actually, it has a tremendous cast up and down. And it's directed by um, Michael Laughlin, who directed... Um, strange invaders and he also i think he did a movie called mesmerized with uh, jodie foster which is good strange invaders is a cool uh sci-fi remake of a 50s movie anyways um i love strange behavior for many reasons uh and and i think i listed all of them oh and 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 um Dan Shore's butt is prominently displayed <laughs> at one point, and which he's very proud of because I interviewed that guy too. We're going to talk about like we interviewed this guy, we interviewed that guy. Uh, anyways, I love Strange Behavior, aka Dead Kids. Chris, what are your thoughts about Strange Behavior? I like the novelization of it more than the movie. Wow. <laughs> it just goes. That's that's all Chris drops. He's like, <clears throat> like that's all you need to drop. What, <laughs> why tell us why 
Um, well, it's called, yeah, it's called School Days by Robert Hughes. It was released in 82. Um, there's just some more graphic content in it. And I think it just, because I can remember a scene in the movie where, this is kind of fuzzy, but um, there's like some babysitting thing where like the nanny goes up and is like checking on who she's taking care of and yes she like she announces that it's Great scene. she announces that it's a very that it's supposed to be a, a younger a, like a younger boy a 11 year old boy is yeah, what she says the actor yeah. who's clearly playing them is like almost my age <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> i definitely i actually hit on that as well because i was like that is not a little boy yeah so then the, with the with the novelization with scenes like that it just makes it more you know you can just imagine it yourself and not have the yeah. false thing going on well so which more was believable for first sure. for you you read the novel novelization first um i know i saw the movie first and then once i got into the whole rabbit hole of um horror from back then that wasn't mainstream releases that's how i found out about the novelization Interesting. Uh, are there things in the movie that you do enjoy? Oh uh, yeah, I like the cast. I like. I do like the the um, butt. The, the butt. The butt. Yeah. yeah. The butt was. I mean, the butt is so. It was so. Um, what's the word? Like it was like. Oh, there's his butt. Like it was just. It was. It, I laughed. I. I was. I was. I think I may have cheered because it was so funny. Because it was like, <laughs> and mostly because he's doing this in front of his dad, and you know. And I was watching it great about and it. I was watching it with my with my wife and she was like, do you ever just stand naked in front of your dad? I was like, no, <laughs> D- definitely not in high school. Anyway, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. I was. <laughs> no, I like the, I like the I like the dance scene, too. And I like the fact that Mark McClure is in it. It's funny when I think about him, I think about that movie and then I think about Pandemonium. Oh, yeah. Not great. Great underrated movie. <laughs> um, I really love Strange Behavior. Um, mostly because I feel like, um, you know, I feel like all the movies, I, I just as an overall thought here, but we, ha- we haven't mentioned, you know, all, all of our movies yet, but, but as far as pacing goes, like a lot of them are a little slow at times. They do kind of drag yes. and you're like, why are we, you know, let's, let's get, let's get to the good stuff. And strange behavior is no exception. However, it does, I feel like spend a lot more time. It spends a lot of time at story. You know, like, and there yes. are twists and there, and that dancing. I mean, I thought about that dancing for like three days after I saw it. Cause I was like, yep. this is so, it's so good. And it's also really creepy. And like, the more you watch it, the yeah. more you kind of pick up on. And like the main character, you know, is, is going through and he, he picks up a Budweiser and then he hands it to this other girl in the back of the party. And then, then the hostess of the party comes up and she's dressed like a nun. And then they hand the beer to her and she's like, you guys are terrible. And then, um, you know, and then Waldo, the bully guy, is like talking to a girl, but then later he's talking to a 13-year-old. I mean, the whole thing is really um, fascinating. They, they, we have some really creepy masks, you know. There's this just this kind of that 80s dance notion or, or, or thing or whatever you want to call it, that device where everyone knows the dance or some mm-hmm. idea of the dance. They're just, you know, synchronized. And then, of course, that girl that yep. Dan, that, that, that Dan, that Pete, the character's name is Pete, that Pete meets... We never see that girl again. So then I'm like, what is that? Like, cause that's really unusual too. Cause you could have just had the the main love interest be that girl and it wouldn't have changed the movie at all. But, um, but uh, you know, and then of course that when we talk about cover Im- imagery, 
the needle in the eyeball is just so yeah. memorable and so gross. And then, you know, we do it's shot really well too. Yeah. That, that scene specifically, it, it, it's very effective. Um, and I was just, I wanted to say really quick lightning strikes. It's by a guy named Lou Christie. It's from, it's from, you know, again, we've talked about the nostalgia now is all about eighties, right? Eighties is, is in so much content, uh, new content way back then it was all about the fifties. That was the nostalgia. And that, so there's a, there's like a fifties, early sixties vibe to this movie, especially with that dance sequence and that song. And you feel, and the fact that it's shot in New Zealand, but it's supposed to take place in like any town USA kind of deal. It adds a little bit of surrealism. Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not like, Oh, this is clearly this place or this is clearly Canada or this is clearly whatever. And, and I think the fact that, so many of the cars they use in that movie are were just rundown vehicles that they can find. Yeah. And a lot of those vehicles are from the 50s and 60s. So that just adds to the overall vibe that this is somewhat out of place uh, in its time, which mm -hmm. I personally love. I want to read the novelization now. Do you own the physical copy of that? I don't anymore, but I, it's still really, as the last time I looked it up, it's still very inexpensive. It's not like... Oh, people don't really know about it. So, no, that's the thing about the thing about strange behavior, or aka dead kids. Uh, that that it, it's still someone under the radar for a lot of people. And I think Dustin, you brought up a good point about the pacing. And so many of these movies, again, with the pacing, it's it, it's a product of its time. Like getting to know these characters and 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 getting to have a relationship with them. I think this film does a great job of you really in liking pete and and not yeah. wanting to see anything bad happen yes. to the kid that is true mm -hmm. that is true whereas maybe some other even though he looks like a 35 year old man in this film. right <laughs> and how old was he when at he, least that butt when he, he was not in high school when he filmed this he was clearly in his 20s no no yeah um anyways that's my pick um yeah that, Justin, that's a great are, are you ready to well no i'm actually not ready i have two follow-up things one thing was oh, please, the, the interesting please. thing about lou christie um, one of the weirder kind of things that is known about him is that he started songwriting at 15 and his songwriting collaborator who he collaborated with this woman way up and right up until her death. And I'm, of course her name is escaping me right now, but she was 20 years older than him. So a 15 year old and a 35 year old collaborated on all of these songs together. Um, is this an Edward Furlong moment? It's, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but how does that relationship even, you know, cause, uh, he was, he was a, he, everyone wanted Lou Christie to be like a classically trained guy or like a classic, a, um, classic musician. And he was like, no, I want to do like rock stuff. And so, um, yeah, he was like that, that, that song, you can, yeah. you could do that song now and it would track. And very, you. very Frankie Valley sounding totally. like, you know, it's very okay, four great, seasons. Great You're just like, boom. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention is, so Zach has mentioned that he's interviewed some of these people and he's interviewed them over on his other podcast, Podcasting After Dark, where you have actually yeah. broken down, you've done the detailed breakdown of Strange Behavior. Um, yes, I have. And, uh, and I, I'm, so, you, so you did, so you interviewed Dan Shore and who else did you mention already today? Well, I interviewed Dan Shore, but I also interviewed Stephen Jeffries. Stephen Jeffries, uh, yes. Way back when. Yes. Yeah. And did you break down you, Fright Night? I did break down Fright Night as right. well. So... If you guys are listening and you're confused, you're like, where, where can I find that interview? That's over on Podcasting After Dark. Podcasting After Dark available on all podcasting 
venues. Um, so I just want to explain yeah. that in case that was confusing. And, and for Chris too, you know, cause he's like, I don't, did you guys do that? Um, so yes. So my number three, if you will, uh, was one of those movies that I remembered a certain way and I revisited it and I was like, Hmm, interesting. And that movie is, uh, this house possessed from 1981. Um, yes. it's very, you know, this was like a TV movie. Yeah. Um, I don't even know, you know, it's, it's, uh, it stars Parker Stevenson as our sort of our lead rock star, Gary, uh, Lisa Eilbacher, <laughs> Lisa, <laughs> Lisa Eilbacher, who most people will know, um, from Beverly Hills cop or, or an officer is an officer and a gentleman. Um, she's, you know, Gary's nurse. Wire. His what? Uh, she's in a movie called live. Wire oh, live wire. Brosnan. Of course. Yep. Yeah. And if you don't know it, look it up. Um, <laughs> this is a movie basically about a house that's alive. Um, it, uh, you know, what, what can I say? It, it does not have great music. Um, and when revisiting what? it, I was like, it, I mean, it started off and Gary's a rock star and he's singing some of the worst songs I've ever, you know, he's like, he's sensitive. You're not sensitive. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening with this song? Sensitive, you're not. It's a joke, your sensitivity. Sensitive, you're not. Again, we don't want to spoil anything, but there's a house and it's alive. Uh, this movie had it's you know, yeah. Well, I'll let you jump in. I, I won't I won't say too much. You know, it's one of these things, uh, because I'm sure we have a lot to discuss about it, but the, the 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 sort of overview is that Gary is um, an overworked rocker. He's on the road all the time. He has kind of a um, I don't know. You know, they they refer to it as a nervous breakdown, but you know, I I don't did the house cause it? We don't know. Um, did the house communicate to Gary through a monitor and make him pass out? We don't know. But what we do know is, you know, Gary wants to 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 heal fast, and in order to do that, he needs he needs a private nurse to heal him and get him oh, back yeah. to the you know heal him and get him back to his uh, to his, to his former self, so he can get back on the road. Um, and uh, and Lisa Albacher plays a plays a character uh, named uh, Sheila. Sheila, yeah. She, her name is Sheila, you know, she, but they go, you know, but the, you're right. Okay. So I, anyway, I, watch yourself. Uh, okay. don't, I, don't, <laughs> dig, don't, don't dig too deep. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so, so the, the stipulation is that Gary, you know, can go and recover, but he needs a private nurse. So he's in this hospital. He hires the first nurse that he sees who gives massages because that's what you do, right? You know, you, you give massages and, and medical care. So you're going to be my private nurse. And my favorite part about this movie right out of the gate is, you know, Gary and Sheila leave the hospital and they're driving on the road. And, uh, and she says to him, Oh, are we, are we going, going to your home? And he's like, no, I, I don't have a home. I just thought we'd drive around for a while. <laughs> like this is the plan. Like you've hired this yep. private nurse to go on the road <clears throat> with you and, and yep. then buy, and then they buy a house together. They buy, or they rent a house. I'm sorry. They rent a house. It starts out. They rent a rent, house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys can jump in now at any point. Okay. <laughs> Chris, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. I, I, I'm salivating, but go yeah. ahead, Chris. <laughs> uh, I thought it was interesting too. That was one of um, Amanda Wiss's first uh, roles in anything. 
Mm-hmm. Great catch. Amanda Wiss, of course, we know from Better Off Dead, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, Amanda Wiss comes up a lot. And she's she's like Nightmare on Elm Street. That right Elm Street, of course. Um uh she is is in a, a very brief but um you know uh, what's the word uh a setup setup scene yeah it's brief but it's wet <laughs> <laughs> but yes oh it's so great uh chris 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 can we talk a little about the soundtrack because yeah. Justin buried he buried it but it's so it's bad so yeah. It's so bad. It's good. Like it's so bad. It's bad. But the, but you, I mean, it's so enjoyable. <laughs> it's. I mean, right? look. It is enjoyable. It is enjoyable. But I was I was really thrown back. Like, but because because the idea is like if you got a setup that this guy's really popular and like has a huge fan base, you're like, what fan base is going to listen to this? Like, right. what, what this is how we're 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 leading off with this song, or we're got a a, a small amount of time to be on TV, and we're gonna. This this is the this is the one. Sensitive, you're not. It's a joke, your sensitivity. You know, we talked about Melissa Sue Anderson, Little House on the Prairie. Chris, did you did you ever see um, Parker Stevenson when he was like in the Hardy Boy Mysteries or anything thing like that? Yeah, like once I was old enough to once I was already into all this media, and I looked, I, yeah, I, I looked back up and like figured out who he was and everything. Because he was a teen idol. This right. guy was like. <laughs> he was a teen idol. He was. And then he went on to go on on Baywatch. Wasn't he on the first season mm-hmm. of Baywatch? Or, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He lives not too far from me here, actually. Oh, that's cool. Saw him at uh, <laughs> uh, Back to School. Peter Horton and Parker Stevenson in the same night. Oh, that's weird. Outdoor screening of Back to School in Santa Monica. And I'm like, that's Parker Stevenson. Zoom. Amazing. That's wow. weird. Yeah. I want to. One thing I want to say. Well, many things I want to say. I want to give Slim Pickens a big hug. I want mm. Slim Pickens. Uh, probably like I such a like he's like a sweet Colonel. You know, he is a sweet uh, Colonel. They, they're painting. They're painting. They're painting Parker. And this came out. In, what, what year was this? 1981. 81. This movie came yep. out. Mm. Lisa Eilbacher. I felt so. I'm. I'm looking at her. I'm going, man. I feel so bad for you because there's a moment where. Uh, you know, Parker Stevenson's character, Gary, meow. Every time I hear Gary, I think of SpongeBob SquarePants. And uh, <laughs> and so I'm like, Gary is a rock star. Yeah. Um, he has an interaction with a quote unquote friend that shows up at the house. And I'm like, whoa, you just dropped the girl you're into. For, and, and then what happens yeah, after Gary's that? A, he's, he's a jerk off. Let's be Gary's honest. A he's a, he's he's really hard to root for. You do not. I I didn't care what happened to Gary at any point during this movie. I really didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, best line. Best line. Like Lisa Albacher has vocal fry before vocal fry. By the way. She. It's very annoying. It's very <laughs> annoying. Um, but you were talking about a guest that shows up, and and the best line in relation to that guest is Tanya. She's like booze. Too much can make you sick, but the first couple of shots are terrific. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wow. She's like booze. Too much can make you sick, but the first couple of shots are terrific. Some of us must have a lower tolerance, I guess. Hope no one says that about me ever, but wow. Well, and Gary doesn't do drugs. He doesn't do drugs. He's straight straight edge, right? He's straight edge before straight edge was even a thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. He said, what did he say? He wants to be a um, CPA. I should have been a CPA. 
I also want to bring up a very memorable cameo at the end, towards the end of the movie, from someone. There's a connection. A, lot, a few of these movies have a connection to uh, a favorite of Dustin and I. The movie Three O'clock High. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. A couple of them have connections. Yeah. Right. So Philip Baker Hall shows up yep. at the end of the towards the end of the movie, just randomly. Yeah. Here's, here's her. Here's. Yeah. Is he the librarian? No, he's in like the county clerk's office. He's a clerk. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. like the the casting for that. I'm like, no, I yep. just don't see it. I don't, I don't see him as being the clerk in this. Yep. Rest in peace, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love this movie. People like this. This is probably the most out of all of these. It's probably my favorite of all of them. Okay. This, this <laughs> is how bad it is. This is your. <laughs> just because of the absurdity, right? I mean, and, that's... and the house is beautiful. By the way, the house that they they feature in this is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. From, I guess it's in Santa Fe. It's a real place. Yeah, it's still around. That shower scene is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I love it. It's so bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's what I mean. It's like if I was, this would be like a great bad movie night. Um, you know, selection. Yes, it is fun, is and you could watch this with a group of people and be like, "Wow." Um, you know, but it, it, it moves, it's, it's, you know, 90 minutes of your time. So that, that always wins. That will win out for me every time. No, it's 95. Yeah. Oh, it is? Yeah. What, Cause you watch the credits? Uh, well, so there's, there's a couple versions on YouTube, one of which has commercials in it. Oh, rec- from the eighties? Yeah, 80s commercials. Like okay. the beginning, the beginning is the ending of an episode of Sanford and Son, which is great. And okay. all the commercials are in. There. So I think that it's added pretty... some time to your to your viewing, because probably, <laughs> or it added to the pleasure. Yeah, yeah, no, but I, you know, I think that's where your five minutes. Uh, should we move on to number twos? No, I wanted to stay with this. All one. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, all right, Chris, what what do you got for us? Uh, Star eighty. I have this feeling about Dorothy. She's going to be a big star. They're going to give me $10,000 for having my picture taken. Dorothy is every man's fantasy. Sit down. Dorothy, you just can't let him do this to you. You want her, pal? You can have her. But you're going to have to pay. Star 80. Rated R. This is controversial. Yeah. Controversial. Yes. And, and Chris prepared a thesis. Yeah. So. so you need to explain to us why you feel that Star 80, starring Eric Roberts and Mariel Hemingway, is a horror movie. Well, based off how it was shot and put together, I mean, it, it, it opens like a horror movie would, like a psychological, realistic horror movie would if it's about a killer or something. And then as it progresses, it just escalates and gets, you know, more and more in that vein. And then leading up to the end of it, when she ends up, what ends up happening to her, I, there's the way it's shot. I just think it's very similar to other things I've seen, not just in that time, but throughout, you know, 90s, 2000s, whatever. And I, you know, it was just so, the way that it happened was so brutal and like the way that the way that Star 80 was done was just incredible. I just think that certain scenes and what I already mentioned, I think it you can appreciate it appreciate it as a horror movie. Maybe that's just me, but 
Well, so for those that might not be familiar with it, can you explain the sort of the plot, a quick, quick synopsis? Yep, it's a biopic about um, Dorothy Stratton, who is uh, at the height of her career. She was killed by her um, possessive uh, ex-boyfriend um, from who she moved to Can or LA with from Canada. And he uh, got really crazy and possessive and didn't want her to be with anybody else. And she was on the height of becoming a star. And then he murdered her and then killed himself. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's obviously it's a, it's a very dark movie. Um, and I, I knew going into this that, you know, that, that you would pick this movie and I was like, Hmm, let me look at it from the perspective of, you know, looking at it with those, with those horror eyes. And I didn't even have to really look that hard. It was, it was more that, you know, the, like musically, mm. very horror, uh, the pacing, you know, very, very horror. It's not like your kind of typical, you know, jump scare, no. uh, scenario, but it is, you know, it is like the unraveling of, of someone's sanity in real time. Right. Um, so it, it is a fascinating, it is a fascinating thought. And, um, certainly Eric Roberts is very, you know, he shot very drippy a lot of the times, very sweaty, very like, he's just, he's just a man. He's a man on the precipice for the entire movie, basically. And you, you, the, the, this movie is really brilliant. Uh, Bob Fosse directed it. It's like, it's the, the stage is so set as far as you know what kind of guy this is in like five minutes, mm -hmm. you know, sleazy. I, I want to be a, I want to be with the, with the famous people. He, this is the guy that wants to be the star. Dorothy doesn't even really care if she's a star sure. initially, at least that's how this movie portrays it. I, I you know, I, I don't know enough about the real story. I, I've sort of, sort of dug in a little bit um, more recently, but um you know, this film would have you believe that sort of everything that happened to Dorothy was almost like his dream, you know, the, uh, her, uh, her husband's dream. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, Zach, jump on in. You mentioned the music, uh, the scene where they play big shot by Billy Joel is that song. First of all, that's my favorite Billy Joel song. And then I get to the part where I'm like, spoon up your nose wait what uh -huh. oh this song is not like a rocker anthem it's more like thinking you're a big shot and and it it's fits perfectly for the scene that they use it in the movie mm -hmm. um you know we interviewed eric roberts talked extensively about his background with star 80 and his, his relationship with bob fossey bob fossey is a genius mm -hmm. uh, all that jazz is definitely in my top 20 of all time um and in phenomenal soundtrack too but I would say initially, Chris, when you said you chose this movie and you said, well, I got, or Dustin said, he's got a thesis to back it up. I'm like, this is not a horror film. This is not a horror film. This is not a horror film. And then I watch it again and I go, but it's a horror film. If uh, directed by an art house filmmaker, mm, to, yeah. like, right? So if this was shown today, if this was released today, Star 80 had never been made back then. It comes out now. People would say, oh, this is horror. This yes. is what horror yeah. is now, mm. today's lens. 1983, we were in the throes of the slasher genre everywhere, right? Everyone was trying to bank off of Friday the 13th. And uh, so 
I will give you that for sure. And I think it's actually a really smart choice um, because it is, it is, it is psychological horror. It's real life horror. Yeah. What happens to Dorothy Stratton is horrific. Um, And dare I say on the, on the, 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 the beginning stages of what would later become 24 hour fitness and the whole fitness craze. (laughs) Right. Uh, it actually is. I think I, I can't, I'm, I don't know that for sure, but I'm pretty sure that this, like the guy, uh, Paul, it, it was like a big piece of what the fitness craze was starting to become, uh, in, in, in our country, really. It's such a tragic movie. It's depressing as hell, but it's a beautiful art film. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, 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 it enjoy is a really w- weird way to put it, but it is uh, every performance is fantastic. Yeah. Yep. And again, Eric Roberts, we love Eric Roberts, and it, it's I don't like that version of Eric Roberts. I think we even said mm-hmm. that in our interview. We're like, we like with the best of the best kick ass Eric Roberts. We don't like the slimy sleaze bag, but he's great at doing it. So there you go. He does it really well. He does it really well. Um, I think there's something to be said too about the fact that like, because it is a biopic and you know, you know how it ends, right? So that kind of influences how you approach the movie as a viewer in a way, you know, whereas like if you were to go into this movie and you didn't know, you know, the story, or if it, if it actually just was, let's say it was just a scripted movie, it would, I think it would have even more of a horror feel to me. Yeah. 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 Right. Cause that would be like a total turn, but the whole movie you're like, Oh we know this is bad. <laughs> we know this, we know this doesn't yeah. end well for Dorothy. Like, you know, it doesn't end well for her. So, but if you didn't know well, it didn't end well for her, you'd be like, Oh, okay. Oh no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, I think of movies like one that comes to mind and I think it's called Wolf Creek, um, yeah. the Australian horror film, right? Where they, where I think it's a 90 minute movie and I feel like 70 minutes of the movie is just the road trip that's involved in the last 20 minutes is when it gets really intense. And if you use that, because look at, if you call that a horror film where the last 20 minutes are peril and shock and awe or whatever, then this could be considered a horror film. Yeah. So you know what? You, you, you won, Chris. You win again. <laughs> Damn it. Again. Dustin's trying to, you know, Dustin's like, I need a younger guy on the show who has more of a depth of horror knowledge than Zach to replace me. Is what <laughs> <laughs> I need a break, Chris. Is what I'm saying. No. Um, do you guys do you guys know about the um, Jamie Lee Curtis Dorothy Stratton movie that came out before Starity? Have you seen that? Not not Love Letters, right? No, it's the it's the TV. Oh, the TV movie. Yeah. Yes. I never saw it. Did you watch it? Yeah, it's it's decent too. It's just Jamie Lee Curtis was just terribly miscast as Dorothy Stratton, mm. but. It's a it's a it's a it's a well done movie too. It's funny because back when I did um, Catherine Mary Stewart, uh, she said that one of the first things that she auditioned for when she got to L.A. was that movie. And then Jamie came up to her and was like, "You should cast this. You should be cast in this role because you look just like her." But Jamie already had gotten the part by oh, then. Oh, amazing! That was a really cool story. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. And Jamie Lee Curtis is an interesting actor. Uh, if you look at her early stuff, she she did not portray that kind of femme fatale, no. typical one, I think, you know? So, yeah, interesting. I feel like I saw, I've seen parts of it. I might have watched it when I was younger, yeah. uh, but I haven't seen it in forever. Yeah. Good call. 
my next pick is from 1984. It is one of the best years in the 80s, in my opinion. But it is a horror thriller called Soul Survivor, S-O-L-E. Somewhere between the dimension of life and death. How many made it? Just you, I'm afraid. Say again. Somewhere between the unexpected and the unexplained are the forces beyond human understanding. I feel like I'm about to be caught. Something beyond life is watching her. Stalking her. And now is coming to get her. Soul Survivor. It will never rest alone. So Soul Survivor is one of those movies that I feel like flies under the radar, but then the cool kids know about it. Like Chris, <clears throat> I'm just saying. So Soul Survivor <laughs> is essentially uh, an 80s version of Carnival of Souls, I think, where the yeah. main character survives a fiery plane crash. And for the rest of the movie, she is stalked, stalked by death. Does that sound familiar, like Final Destination? Well, yeah, because Final Destination essentially ripped off. was influenced yeah. by this as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, sorry. Influence ripped off whatever you yeah. want to say. So I, I don't want to say too much because I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on it. I will say there's a fun little cameo at the end by Leon, the actor Leon, just Leon, um, from many notable movies like The Five Heartbeats and Cliffhanger. But... Soul Survivor has a relatively unknown cast for, I think, American audiences. And it's an American film. It's not Canadian. The pacing is very slow, which I love. And the kind of shocks and the moments are um, impactful, I think. There's a movie called It Follows that came out not that long ago that I feel like takes elements of this as well. I own the VHS copy of Soul Survivor. It's the Vestron video uh, from way back in the day. I think I got this for like a dollar. That's uh, at a. I used to have that too. Yeah. I did you? Of course you did. <laughs> you need to get it again. Yeah. Um, it, it's only available like the Blu-ray that came out is was discontinued. I'm sure it'll get re-released, but there's uh, the only like watchable version is on YouTube. Again, in our show notes. And I love Soul Survivor, but I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts. Who wants to jump in first? Well, I'll say this, that um, this was my first time watching this. Had not seen it. Um, trying to kind of find the right... There, there are a lot of versions out there that are labeled as the 1984, but then you press play and it's actually the 1970 movie starring William Shatner. And so I had a little bit of a false start because I was like, William Shatner, what is going on here? And then quickly... Yes. Um, I was like, damn you, uh, Roku Fossum cap or whatever. Um, but, uh, 
Yeah, this movie, um, I was totally like, oh, this is just Final Destination. You know, a total ripoff. Had that immediate thought. And then, um, you know, as the movie goes on, it's like, I, I was kind of bothered by the lack of communication between characters. Like, this was the first, you know, this is one of those movies where I'm just like, you know, because there's the, there's the actress Carla Davis. No, well, the character's name is Carla Davis, played by a woman named Karen L. Larkey, who's still been yes. acting forever. But, um, you know, she's kind of this psychic slash uh, Folgers, how, like the worst actress ever, you know, yeah. where she's been just so, I don't know, her brain is warped from seeing ghosts or something. From acting. Yeah, from acting or whatever. <laughs> but she is, is, you know, talking to the main character many times and just like, you know, she'll just be like, hey, did you, um, you know, were you in a crash? Yeah. All right, lock your doors. Goodbye. Like, what? The, like, come on. Like, lady, <laughs> like, can you just give her a little bit more here? And like, everyone thinks that this one lady's crazy. And like, you're like, of course, because you're not communicating in any sort of sort of human form. Um, that's all I'll say at the moment. I do have a follow-up thought about this. But Chris, please. Okay. Um, I've always loved how eerie so many scenes are just you know mm -hmm. the scene where she's on the phone with that doctor and then it just cuts to shots of her house and like you you aren't shown if something is there or it isn't there and uh i just think it's even today it's like one of the most eerie movies i've ever seen yeah what do you think about the the, the scene in the elevator or the the garage when um oh yeah that's super freaky for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I also wanted. Did you guys notice uh, a scream queen who, of, of, of course, is topless? Did you know? And you guys know oh, who that was? You yeah, know? that was like a blank in our name, but that was one of her first movies. Yeah, Brink Stevens. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was like, oh, of course she's naked. <laughs> she's naked and um, I, I think the, the, the sort of troubling thing for me about this movie is that there are not clear rules of how things work because mm -hmm. it's not like, cause you know, in final destination, right. It's like somebody survives, but death is like still coming, but this has sort yeah. of a zombie element to it that to me kind of takes it in a weirder direction where the zombies are also attacking random people. And you're like, well, huh? Like who, who is like either, either we're coming after the protagonist or we're coming after everybody like and i just you know and, and that's and if that's the case then why because right so i'm sort of I, interested i agree with you i agree with you i feel like there there are moments in this movie where like well that doesn't really match up with you know if you look at carnival of souls the original uh if you want to call it that you know it death is stalking her this doesn't this is like well death is stalking other people too that are in the way that are in the way you know? yep. right yeah and, and like it, it's maybe death is not very smart so <laughs> or, um, or just yeah or just not very discerning just like yeah whatever yeah yeah and and i think you know my other later pick i also feel like it gets a pass for some of the flaws in it this movie ha has a lot of flaws but i think it makes up for it with the deliberate pacing yep uh the tone i also love that i don't really know who a lot of these actors are and that makes it I invest more into it if I don't necessarily know who an actor. It doesn't distract me, right? I guess is what right, I'm saying, yeah. right? The lead like the went story. off the radar totally. Whoever the lead yeah, was, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and many times people are like, you know, if you go to horror conventions back in the day, I would go to Fangoria horror conventions back in the day, and Soul Survivor was always the one that was bootlegged. And, mm. uh, you know, when DVDs first came out, they would do a bootleg DVD of it. And it is definitely one of those, oh, have you seen Soul Survivor? That's a really cool, that's because Final Destination became mm -hmm. the monster that it became. Yeah. And so it's it's like when you realize the song Black Magic Woman by Santana is actually a cover of a Fleetwood Mac song where you're like, well, the original <laughs> right. version is actually pretty good. You know? <laughs> right. It's like a blues right. version. And so it's the same idea of like, okay, Final Destination has some really fun moments throughout. But if you want to go back to the what inspired it and what influenced it, what it ripped off, uh, then check out Soul Survivor. Yep. Yeah, I. That's that's a that's a really great summary of it. I mean, yeah, it it has elements that are like really cool, for sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, all right, so my number two is a movie called He Knows You're Alone from 1980. <laughs> On the night before her wedding, every girl is alone. Joyce. Nancy. Amy. Tricia. Joan. On the night before her wedding, every girl is frightened. And this time, there's good reason. He knows you're alone. Um, the most significant thing about this movie, let's just get it right, you know, let's just rip the bandit off. It's Tom Hanks' first movie. And, and Dana that's... And baby Dana Barron's first movie. Um, Tom Hanks, if you don't know who Tom Hanks is, you have not been awake forever. And if you don't know who Dana Barron is, Dana Barron is uh, most known, most well-known for me as uh, Audrey in the very first National Lampoon's Vacation. And then, you know, she had a stint on uh, Beverly Hills 90210. Um, yeah. Baby, baby Dana Barron. But, um, but this movie, so this is a movie about a killer um, who stalks um, brides-to-be. Um, if you're about to get married, watch out, because this guy knows that you're going to get married, and he will do nothing to kill, to stop, nothing will stop him from killing you or trying to or whatever. Um, I think, you know, uh, notable things, we've got Caitlin Ohini, our second 3 O'Clock High, Miss Farmer from 3 O'Clock High. Chris, yes. have you watched 3 O'Clock High? Yeah, I, yeah. I really like it, yeah. Three O'Clock High is, you know, a, a really foundational movie to our show. Um, Jim Walker, who does Something to Remember Me By, does the theme song for our show. And um, well, it's 35th anniversary is this month. What? October. What? Yep. So it's this month? You mean this if, year, October? Well, October <laughs> it's this month, October. Oh, yeah, right. We're in October now when this airs, right? Yeah. Yep. 
So you're right. All right. So we're wherever we are in real time, we're probably celebrating this movie. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's a movie where he knows you're alone, except no one is alone when he kills them, except for one person. So um, so I, I think it's a it's a misnamed movie. Um, yeah. We can just say that right now. Um, you know, when Tom Hanks comes on the screen, I'm like, finally, I, it's like exciting. You know, he actually. Yeah. It gives a performance, a, an energy. Um, he's he's the best part of this movie. I don't want to say too much more. I want to pass it to you guys. Okay. Go for um, it, Chris. Well, it wasn't that long ago. It was just like a month ago that I interviewed Russell Todd. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Look at you. Go on Chris's page. We have links to his uh Yeah, we're going to promote YouTube. the hell out of Chris. Yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, so, and, and, and what was, what was that like? Well, that was his first film or television role. And he just said that it was, he didn't, he didn't get to meet anybody else. He didn't get to meet Tom or anything. Um, it was just really quick. Uh, it was a really pleasant experience, but yeah, he was just kind of in and out of there doing the movie within a movie thing. Um, right. Because this movie, it actually opens with a kind of a, a very, as you said, a movie within a movie, it opens in a very kind of cool, cool way. Yeah. And that, yeah, that was, that's actually notable. Cause I don't, I don't, I'm like, it's notable, but historically it, it felt like when I was watching this, I'm like, Oh, this was probably like the first time they did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it is. And, and, and it was and talk about ripping off or homage scream Two, shot for shot pretty much did that scene. Oh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I love scream Two, by the way, scream Two is a, is a good sequel in my opinion. Um, all the screams are, you know, pretty well no. they're fine. The, the latest they're one fine. is not great yeah two two had uh our boy what what's his face um um with with the uh, jerry o'connell and it's got also mm-hmm. uh timothy elephant justify yeah Tim, timothy yeah. elephant so yep. yeah. elephant that's not nice <laughs> I, I and i want to say too Tom Hanks's little speech that he gives about why people ride roller coaster rides, horror <laughs> films. I mean, hello, Scream took that as well. Scream did take that. That's really a good point because Tom Hanks's speech is like a, a psychological analysis. He's a he's a psych major, or he's not even a major, right? He's like, I took one on one. Was this before Mazes and Monsters? By the way, the made-for-TV movie he made. I think it was. I mean, I think this was this was his first. Yeah, this was his was first thing. thing. That was yeah. 1982. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So and okay. And whether this is true or not, I mean, what they've said about this is that Tom Hanks's character was so likable that they didn't want to kill him off, which seems like a weird justification, knowing that it's Tom Hanks now after the fact. I don't know if I buy that, but um, I mean, spoiler. I buy it. <laughs> I, I buy it. He well, yeah. That's the only spoil we'll give. Yeah, uh, yeah. But but I buy it because his character is really like it's not his character. His acting, you you do look at him, you go, yeah, this guy is this guy's going to be a megastar someday. It, it, he really does exude greatness on screen amongst everybody. And Paul Gleason is in this. Paul from, Gleason, you yeah. know, uh, in in somewhat of a like a not a hero role. Well, yeah, he's somewhat of a good guy. Uh, for a guy who's notorious for playing assholes and, and bad guys all the time, so and, um, and uh, breakfast James, Breakfast Club for people who might not know, yes, um, Breakfast Club, Die Hard, uh, uh, Trading Places, right? 
Yeah, Chris, and am I remembering correctly? I feel like you when when you interviewed me, I feel like you said that Breakfast Club was the first thing that you saw that was like got you hooked on the eighties. Pretty much, yeah. I was in sixth grade, and I was allowed to rent it on DVD from our local uh, video store, and that just like opened everything for me. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. The catalyst that brought yeah. you in. <laughs> uh, and let's let's bring up James Rebhorn too uh, in a in a young role. I'm so used to seeing that dude as an older man. Uh, he plays the professor in in this. <laughs> oh yes, James Rebhorn is a legendary character actor. Absolutely. Um, we I had the kind of the same reaction to him as I did to Dana Barron, where I was like, because you're not you're not expecting them to be that young. <laughs> No, yeah. No. And Dana, Dana Barron, yeah. I mean, for me, her Audrey is my favorite Audrey of all the Audreys. Yeah, of she, all the Audreys that ever Audreyed. Of all the Audrey, and yeah. this has a really terrible song in it too. By the way, what's up with this like <laughs> like poppy? <laughs> love you. I mean, this song has this movie has a terrible song in it too, and it's terribly good in a way. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> it's like a like a weird realization too when that, when that stuff's happening. I'm like, what's right. going on? Those are my um, thoughts. Yeah, I think you know we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> are we? And we're, we're you know we're approaching our final picks. Final picks. Final picks. Oh, Chris, Chris you're gonna hit us with something hard. Number one. Yeah. I still think. Yeah, it might not. It's at least for now. It's like every time I come back to it and I go over it. Even before this, like if I go over lists in my head or whatever, I still think. Yeah, my number one favorite horror movie has been. Wow. Number one favorite horror movie in existence, any decade. Yep. Canadian horror, psychological horror, Pin. Pin is the one and only friend Leon's ever had. The only one who doesn't care that Leon's different. You never had secrets from each other. Only Pin knows Leon's darkest secret. Leon? Hello, Marshall. What have you done? What am I gonna do? Pin, some friendships die hard. Canada's back, baby. Canada is back. <laughs> well, you guys um, share, you guys share, like this was kind of a, a movie that got brought up when Dustin, you were on Chris's show that brought the link. We're yep. kind of blown away. Yep. Yep. I mean, if anyone wants to listen to that, I'm pretty much blown away the entire time we're talking. And I, <laughs> I don't even remember if we talked about voice acting at all, but I, I feel like um, I was, you know, pin was a movie that my wife, you know, she's, had it on VHS, but, but, you know, when I was asking her sort of more about it, like, why, why do you have this? And it's just one of those movies where it seemed like not a lot of people knew about it. Um, you know, it, it's, so it's called pin, but it's also pin plastic nightmare. Um, and, uh, the synopsis I guess would be just that, I mean, there's nothing like this movie. There's nothing like this movie. It is, it is, uh, really, really creepy. It, you know, uh, Chris, yeah, please, please ex- give the synopsis if you could. <laughs> um, it's about a wealthy family that, um, or the, the man of the house is 
Terry O'Quinn is a doctor and the it's two uh, twins. They're both really attractive blonde. Um, and they, as they get older, the girl becomes more popular and um, she'll, she still stays, she'll still stays sweet and all that. And then the, the, the boy is a loner and he becomes fixated on the medical dummy that was always in their office and he makes it a part of himself without realizing it and it's like his best friend and he doesn't realize that whenever he's talking to pin he's just like has a split personality and um it's really effectively well done uh it's you know stuff that happens like that not all not all the time in real life but i mean there's plenty of cases of it in real life happening um the ending is just sad and creepy and uh great cast too and um great director cynthia preston was one of the sweetest people i've ever interviewed um yeah it's just i can't i don't think there's really anything negative about it in my in my opinion well you have really interesting taste um i think for what you would consider your favorite and Mm -hmm. i and i mean that in the utmost um positive way because pin is 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 a very heavy film yeah. i i watched it when people were like oh the horror films you haven't seen i think i saw it in the nine late night late 90s or something um it has elements of like psycho where you know he's the here's his mother so to speak you know and that's not the case in this it, it's really twisted Mm-hmm. Uh, I like seeing Terry O'Quinn, by the way, you said great cast and I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. T- obviously Terry O'Quinn, but David Hewlett, I forgot. Uh, I first saw him in cube. Yeah. Um, and if you guys have never seen cube, that's a really great indie sci-fi horror esque type movie. Um, but man, pin is, is twisted. Uh, it's, it's original, it's unique. And I agree. There's nothing like it. Uh, how it got to be made and the whole backstory is very interesting uh, because I think the director and the producers kind of saw two different visions of what pin was supposed to be. Uh, but I'm glad what appeared on screen is pretty, is like the best version of what you could do. And mm-hmm. man, it is, it is intense. It's, it's a heavy film, yeah. um, but you, and, and you've got great taste, Chris. That's why you're here. <laughs> Yeah, we, got, we need someone with great taste on our show. You, we do. I mean, you, because there are so many moments, you know, rewatching this movie where I was like, no, oh, no. Like, I'm just like, Ugh. like, oh, you you're physically, yeah, you you're physically just disgusted that, by sort of even the, the hinting of, of, you know, certain ideas or, or something. And, um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just very, very disturbing. Um, my wife always thought that Pin looked like Reggie Miller. Um, I, Reggie Miller, basketball I don't know, player, basketball player, yeah. Uh, <laughs> before your time, Chris, but um, well, he's still around now. Um, a couple of notable things for me: uh, Cynthia Preston uh, is actually voices Zelda in the 1989 original yeah. Zelda TV show, which was oh, very excuse me, princess. <laughs> very cool. Um, cool. Right the the craziest thing, the craziest thing for me about this movie now, the voice of Pin is Jonathan Banks. Yes. Mm-hmm. From 
Beverly Hills Cop, you know, fr from Breaking Bad, from yeah. he's Mike, he's Mike. And he's doing, it's such a specifically creepy, like without trying too hard. It's, it's the, cause I was like, what is this voice and what's going on? Yeah. And it's supposed to be a ventriloquist voice. And you know, that the, the father is throwing the voice. And then of course, Leon is throwing the voice. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so good. It's so good. The way that I found out about it, I'm pretty sure was, because uh, I've always been like a gigantic Sailor Moon fan. That's probably my single, one of my single favorite anime. Um, and the actor who plays the preteen version of David Hewlett's character, um, Stephen Bednarski, later on in his career, before he stopped acting, he was a voice actor for two main characters in the first of a Sailor Moon. Oh, the oh, preteen nice. version. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's a really random way in. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was your way into this movie. I'm pretty sure way back wow. when I was like looking up cast members and I was just curious about who he was and who everybody was. That's that that's interesting because talking about like mentioning actors that kind of stepped outside of their wheelhouse, uh, I think of young people like who now have everything accessible to their to their fingertips on youtube and can watch clips at least clips from from different uh movies that these actors have been in and so you take somebody like you know kids love john cena right if they're a big wrestling fan and then they find the clip from uh that amy schumer movie where he, <laughs> you know they're having sex and you're like yeah i don't want a five-year-old going i want to see what john cena's doing and his mom accidentally pulls up oh i did not expect that mm -hmm. you know, what's the safe word or whatever right. that line is and uh it's interesting because Clearly, Sailor Moon uh, would not be a normal, like a natural gateway to pin. <laughs> you wouldn't think of right. that on paper, but yeah. it's great. I mean, at least you were introduced to a movie that is way below. Talk about, you know, Soul Survivor. Yeah, very underrated, not very known. Pin equally very underrated. I think out of all of these movies, uh, you know, Dustin, your uh, This House Possessed uh, pin and and soul survivor probably the three biggest kind of under the radar type movies yep and pin doesn't even i mean i know this house possessed doesn't have a any kind of release uh, physically but i mean i know pin still doesn't have a blu-ray which is really weird shocking yeah it needs it we'll have to get, get with our people <laughs> get with our great people choice, chris great but choice. yeah it is an excellent point and it speaks to kind of your mindset, which is our mindset, which is, you know, when you see something that you like, you're like, I, I gotta go deep. I gotta yep. find out. I gotta, I gotta work my way back and, and see where this person began. And, and that is a, you know, and not everybody does that. People just kind of watch stuff and they out of sight, out of mind after it's done. Yep. My, when I first showed it to my mom, like I watched it with my mom when I was old enough and She's like, yeah, this this was a great movie, but I can't really like recommend it to people <laughs> generally. <laughs> it's just is too weird. Mom, is, is your mom a fan of uh, the horror genre? Yeah. Are, what are what are some of her favorite movies? Um, in terms of older and well and newer, um, she loves the original Exorcist. She likes the remake of Last House on the Left. Um, mm. so she has a pretty big uh, tolerance, even though she doesn't think that she does. <laughs> Sounds like your mom and my mom should go bowling together. Uh, so because my mom took really? me to see Hellraiser when it came out, and oh, that's uh, cool in the theater. She took me to all my horror films, you know, wow. in the theater. And uh, I remember seeing Phantasm Two with her, and it, like 
like, mom, did you like this? She's like, oh yeah, that part with the, the double barrel shotgun and you know, the four barrel <laughs> shot. Like, yeah, it was the best part. She's like, I know, you know, so anyways. Wow. Yeah. Zach is like, four years old. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We ready for my final pick? All right. So I went back and forth on this movie because it is, it is not like, I'm glad you kind of said ahead of time, Justin, that these may not be our top three, but three that we chose because there were other ones that I thought of, and I might bring those up in the kind of, uh, you know, the, the final stages of this episode. But uh, my my final pick is 1985's Warning Sign. It is a, a genetic, uh, you know, mutated bio horror film where these totally inept scientists release a uh, virus in, in the lab in a really funny way. I don't even want to describe <laughs> what happens because it's so comical. This movie has a lot of comical moments. This is definitely a sit down. This is this is my uh, this house possessed movie of all the three, where you just there's one weird thing that happens after the, another, and you're like, oh come on, this is this is why this movie is under the radar. These are the signs of warning, symbols of danger. Some are all too familiar. This one signals the most ominous threat of all. By the time you see it, it may already be too late. I've got a warning flag. This is not a drill. Seal the building. No one in or out. God Almighty. Who are you trying to protect? Pray for the people trapped inside. Pray they never get out. Warning sign. Now we can look at these movies and go, oh, it's so bad it's enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Back then, it had to be good to be, to be remembered or noticeable. you know. And this movie has enough kind of ugh moments that now you just go, oh yeah, that's good stuff. Um, <laughs> but it's directed by Hal Barwood, who did, uh, well, he produced Dragon Slayer to an extent. He worked on a lot of video games, actually. Um, and it stars, the movie stars Sam Watterson, Kathleen Quinlan. I'm going to list off quite a few of these names and you're going to be like, wow, why was yeah. this movie not bigger? Yafet Kodo, Jeffrey DeMunn, uh, Richard Dysart, G.W. Bailey, Rick Rosevich, uh, very small role. Jerry Hardin, I love him from Big Trouble in Little China. Green Flame, Green Flame. <laughs> um, I'll let Dustin shout out a couple of the other kind of cameo roles that show up. But there's an actor named Scott Paulson in this film who uh, is is known for playing uh, Red Skull before um, in the in the old Captain America Roger Corman movie under some really cool makeup. The last notable person I'm going to bring up is the cinematography is done by Dean Cundy. If you don't know who Dean Cundy is, then you're not a horror fan because he will just look him up and then you can, the rest will kind of fall into place. Uh, and a one last thing, because he, we interviewed the man about this movie. The soundtrack is by Craig Saffin, who yeah. is known for Remo Williams and, 
uh, Legend of Billie Jean and Thief and Last Starfighter and yada, yada, yada. The guy has an extensive resume. We talked at length about Warning Sign. Listen to that interview because it's out already. I'm going to hand it over to you guys, but Warning Sign is my final pick and it's fairly obscure enough to be on the show. What do you guys think? I think as a cool cast, um, some other people that weren't mentioned that um, one of them is like a really big voice actor now, Keith Sarabaya. He was in that. And um, Kyle Hefner, who is more of like an underrated actor from back then, from Young Doctors in Love and Flashdance. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of love the setup of this um, movie, like the whole idea of, um, you know, having a biological weapon accident. And of course, everyone is stuck inside. I was like, I'm in, I'm in, right? Like, how are we going to kind of get our way out? It, it doesn't yeah. necessarily, um, you know, the consistency of, of it as we go on, it gets a little uh, choppy, as you said, but I don't have a ton of, you know, problems. I love uh, Sam Waterston and um, I, I, uh, let me Why just do you go- love Sam Waterston? What do you love him from? <clears throat> well, it's it's actually not from the original Law and Order. Okay. Uh, I people now because I'm a, I'm a huge Law and Order SVU fan. Yep. He's not really a part of that, but um, I'm warning you, McCoy. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean Law and Order SVU to me is just so much better than than the original Law and Order. But but yes, um, I I actually like him from the original like Great Gatsby and um, and that kind of stuff. Um, and he's, uh, he plays the sheriff in this, um, and his wife, Kathleen Quinlan is, is on the inside. She's a security guard and she, I mean, I, I don't really envy anybody's job in this movie. That was kind of one of the thoughts where I was like, I would hate to have that job. I'd hate to have that job. I'd hate to have that job. Um, at one point, Sam Waterston, uh, says to, um, uh, Jeffrey DeMond, he's like, uh, he, I just wrote this down. It's different for you. Germs are your job. Like it's basically a, it's basically like a, you know, he's, he's afraid of, of, of reaching the, the compound. Um, oh, when he jumps into the, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Before going down the, it's the air shaft comical. or whatever, right. Like, dude, he's just, he's just go. suddenly, he's just suddenly so scared and everyone's behind him. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of great themes about kind of the distrust of government here, which I thought were very topical. Um, you know, whatever you feel about like, you know, it was like equating it to the CDC where, you know, this, this thing happens, which is clearly not good. And everyone's like, Oh, there's just a little bit of a yeast in the, in the air. And you're like, yeah, there's, this is no, this is no different. Um, it's just a yeast infection, right? It's, it, 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 it's the, it's how the media, you know, it's just really topical of how the media spins that story. Yeah. And meanwhile, everybody's down at this compound and their loved ones are missing and they're kind of like, can you let us in? And they're like, no, we just got to get that yeast away from the, from the food that we're the germinating the, the, the stuff. And you're like, Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Have a zucchini pancake. And, uh, <laughs> Ew, that's and so could, gross. <laughs> could, could these, these hazmat suits rip any more easily? Like every time somebody's in a hazmat suit, the next scene is them like looking down and being, horrified that because those rip. hazmat suits are painter uh suits <laughs> not hazmat suits <laughs> they're like paper thin yeah like, the government the government was not ready that day um 
but uh but yeah and i like the you know the little the kind of like the twist of like why people are surviving and that some people are not and what you um so yeah those are my those are my overall thoughts about it well i want to know if you recognize a couple cameos um let me go to my notes let me go to my notes i definitely did i you know having watched these nine movies they all are running together in my head yeah um there was definitely a Mishak Taylor yes, sighting. Mishak. Yep. Mishak Taylor. Yep. Uh, Hollywood. If you guys don't know. Mannequin. Who am I missing? Well, the, he had red hair in this. And I think in the movie that I recognize him from, he had like kind of uh, dyed brown hair or dark hair, uh, black hair. But uh, Bill S. Preston's dad. Played <laughs> J. Peter. J. Patrick McNamara. <laughs> Who always oh, grossed funny. me out, by the way, in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, yeah. when he there's a scene where he closes the door to clearly go have sex with his wife, yes, Missy, and you're like, ugh, so ugh, oh, that's so funny, gross. yes. Uh, but yeah, he was one of the one so of the, gross uh, government guys. And then there's an actor named Jack uh, Tibio, I think is his name. Uh, very small. He was the guy who was using uh, the um, the. Uh, trying to break the door down towards the end with his mm. uh what did we blowtorch thingy that you're using um he if you look up that guy he was he, he's been in some cool notable films the hitcher for one lethal weapon but also the escape from alcatraz mm. 1979 clint eastwood movie which is badass did so. not recognize him uh, and there's a lot of diversity in this cast, actually, if you think about it, for the time it came out, mm-hmm. 1985. It's not just a bunch of white dudes. It seems to be our most diverse cast. I would Maybe. say so. Yeah. So Maybe. It, it's it's definitely rough around the edges. There's moments where you're like, is this supposed to be comedic? Um, but And then it falls short, and I think, in certain respects. But I think overall, yeah, topical for sure. And, and it, it brings up a lot of things that are going on right now in our country and world. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my final three, um, third. But Dustin, you're going to bring us home with, I would dare I say, the most known film out of all of these. Yeah. yeah. This final film is, uh, if you don't know it by face, you know it by name. It is 1980s The Changeling. Within this old house live two residents. One of them is John Russell composer professor the other has been dead for over 70 years claire i'd like to talk to you about the house did you die in this house how did you die Whatever it is, is trying desperately to communicate. What is it you want? What do you want from me? Many films will frighten you, but only a few can really terrify you. The Changeling, an experience beyond total fear. Um, uh, starring George C. Scott and his real life wife, uh, Trish Vandeveer. Um, I, uh, you know, this, this movie has one of the best 
openings um yes of of a horror movie because if you're gonna just it's just like let's get to it you know a guy um loses his wife and child um well they're they're killed in one of the most freak accident you know situations um that he witnesses causes him to kind of retreat into himself and then literally retreat um from his place in new york uh to buy a a a vacant uh you know decades old seattle mansion i I always kind of wonder you know when, when characters go from like like a 400 square foot space like what motivates a person psychologically to be like oh i I live in this tiny apartment and now i'm gonna buy this mansion yeah you know what i mean because it's 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 not it's really never explained but and then while he's in the mansion um you know he starts to uh, a ghost starts to uh you know haunt him communicate with him and um and it's one of the it's it's kind of like pre um Six sense, if you will, it's pre, you know, it's, it's ghosts with unfinished business, which I just love as a, as a theme. It's like, you know, they, they can't rest until something is taken care of until there's some closure. Yep. And in this case, um, you know, it's a very complicated story, um, with a lot of, you know, I, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of feelings about kind of how it, how it moves. It's a, it's a slower moving movie. Um, what else can we say about it? It's directed by Peter Peter Medek. Um, yep. It's uh, it's got the oldest cast out of all the movies that he's done. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. It really is. And I and I was like, how old was George C. Scott? Because to me, you know, you know how we always talk about just in general, like it's like people look like younger now, like whatever. It's like seventies, the new fifty, or whatever, like whatever. Roy Scheider is was forty six when he did Jaws two. That's right. my age, and I'm like. That's what 46 looked like back then? Yes. George C. Scott looks to be around minimum 65 years old. He's like 50 when he made this movie. Yep. You know, and you're like 50. And that's like the hard living, the cigarettes, you know, all this stuff. Because he did hardcore, that's why. (laughs) (laughs) No! Oh, my God. Uh, Because I was like, that guy's got a kid? Like, I don't understand, like. They have his kid when he was 72. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So what else can I say about it? Um, you know, it's the second movie where the house that I've chose today, uh, where the house kind of has a life of its own. Um, you know, I was watching these movies. I'm like, there's another scene where somebody goes to the County to get the County records. Like why, 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 why did I choose two movies where people are researching uh, the history of a house? That was um, a popular thing, though, back then. It the was. Day. Let's it go was. get the floor plans of this Let's place. Let's get the original records and see. <laughs> and there's a lot of looking at records. Um, yeah. Anyway, you know, I'll keep things moving. I'll, I'll let you guys jump in. It's a really it's a really beautiful house. Um, and I think it's hard to, especially back then, it's hard to be, it's hard to effectively pull off um, supernatural and psychological horror movies from that early on in mm-hmm. horror and I, that's like one of the only examples where it's not, you know, it's not super dated and it's like well done too. That's a really good point. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, you know, you got, you got this, this scene with the psychic kind of coming in to communicate with this ghost, Joseph, who we learn is a, you know, little boy. Um, 
And that scene particularly to me was very strong because it was just like the, the kind of the creepiness of the the vacant psychic just, you know, getting messages and and scribbling while this somebody assists her and, you know, doesn't even know what's going on and the messages are coming through and, you know, where are you, Joseph? Where, where, where did you die in this house? You know, it's just like... Yep. Um, yeah, this this movie, I feel like, because uh, it came out in 80, Amityville came out before it. Uh, I, I felt like there was this thing in Hollywood at the time that it was you were either a slasher movie or a ghost story in right. the early 80s. Like, it, there was no midway. The Changeling is considered, by many people, their scariest horror film that they've ever seen. Um, is it still scary? Yeah, it, it it is. I think again, like thankfully, we have someone like Chris on our show who has a very present lens, a current lens, but also can look at these movies and appreciate what it was back then. What this was back then scared the shit out of people. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, your mom's favorite movie, one of her favorite movies, is The Exorcist. That movie to this day is terrifying. Right. If you go into it with the openness that thankfully you have, because I think there's a lot of cynicism now where it's like, eh, yeah. it is, you know, yeah, and we have sure. so many movies now, now, like what, what are they? Um, what, what is the, 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 the ghost hunters that make, uh, um, oh, uh, paranormal activity. Yeah. Yeah. Those. And, and, yeah. you know, like, Oh, with where- the, with the, with the husband and wife team. Yes. The, the the Annabelle doll thing. Yeah, the Annabelle doll. The Conjuring. The Conjuring. And those are fine. They're fine. These movies would never have existed if it was, especially The Conjuring would not yeah. have existed if it wasn't for The Changeling. Uh, and I believe there were, at one point they were like going to remake this movie. And then they think they, they did a movie called The Changeling with um, uh, uh, Angelina Jolie, but it has nothing to do with this at all. Um but I'm so glad they haven't remade it. I hope they don't. I feel like you could re-release this movie uh, now. It might be hard because this, the the cast is so older. <laughs> I think it's somewhat hard to re- relate to. Yeah. There's a movie called Ghost Story that came out in the early '80s mm-hmm. with uh, with a with, I think like Fred Astaire or you know somebody fairly well known older actors are in it. And I think I couldn't watch it as a kid because I'm like, they're so old. It looks like my grandparents. Yeah. Like I, I couldn't relate to Come it. Come up and see me, you ghost. Ah, get out of yeah. here. I think George C. <laughs> Scott is a hard sell when it comes to leading man for a, especially for a horror film. Yeah. But I thought that way about uh, like the omen too, you know, and, and like sometimes these older, you get a big name. Oh, this guy's a recognizable, yeah. recognizable name. I think if this was a younger cast, it would be even more appealing. Yep. Um, so that's those are yeah. my thoughts. But again, it's it's like I said, it's your most well-known pick, Dustin. And I did sense a theme. I'm like, okay, so you're doing two ghosts and a slash. Mm. And Chris did two psychologicals and a slash. And then I did a little bit of everything, I guess. A mushba, mm-hmm. uh, mushba or whatever. Yep. Um, a mushba. I want to know if there are any noticeable, like notable films that you did not put on this list that you would just want to rattle off and say, oh, go check out this one. It's not very well known. Do either of you have movies like that on your list? Yeah. Um, number three, I was, it was a toss up. It was hard to pick between um, Happy Birthday to Me and Curtains. Curtains is great. Great choice. Curtains is great. I'm going to have to see Curtains. Yep. Yep. Um, how about you, Dustin? Do you have any that 
No, no. Like I said, uh, initially this was very, you know, challenging cause this is not my wheelhouse and I wanted to, you know, I'm like, what do I know that's obscure that, that, that has any meaning to me and yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well then I'll, I'll throw out two uh, that were on my list. One is the 1986 trick or treat with Ozzy Osbourne and the rock and roll kind of slasher that's movie. Fun. That's yeah. a fun movie. Great soundtrack by the way. And uh butcher baker nightmare maker. Yeah. I have never seen that. Go check that out. It's again, like psychological horror, right? Chris yep. psychological yes. horror slash slasher. So a little yeah. bit of happy birthday to me, if you will. Yeah, it's cool seeing it's too bad that Julia Duffy didn't do any more horror movies. Totally agree with you. Yep. So that one you can find on Blu-ray and Trick or Treat is hard to find. Curtains, I think. I feel like that just got released on Blu-ray, like a special edition, but I yep. yep. Are you a are you a physical media guy, Chris? Do you do you still collect physical media? Because you said you used to have some things, but are you kind of dwindling it down? Um, I a lot of the well. Yeah, like if I if I like a movie enough to own it, I'll buy the DVD. So I have a lot of stuff of DVDs. I think Chris. Uh, I think we need to do a what does Chris? Own? Yeah, what does <laughs> what does Chris own? Why does Chris own that? Maybe he uh, needs to join us for an episode of Why Does Zach Own This? And he'll be like, Oh, I have that. Yeah, oh, I have that. <laughs> I got two copies I, of that. I One think, is sealed in a bag. I think so. Know. It'll just be an episode of you pulling out things that I'm like, this, What Chris? is that? And Chris is like, Yeah, I got that. Yeah, I got that. This Chris is, is just, it'll just be like, Chris is unimpressed with everything. And then his mom walks in. She's like, I have that too. And I'm like, wait, what? Right. Yeah. Come on, Chris's mom. <laughs> um, and and do you are you a collector in the sense of do, do you display your stuff? Do you have shelves that are just devoted to your collections? Or do you just uh, got to throw them in the closet? You, yeah, most of the stuff is um, in like drawers and stuff like all my... My whole horror books are like right here. Like, I don't know, just random, random stuff, random, like, in, random stuff. In Darkness oh. Waiting. In Darkness Waiting. Yeah, Chris is showing us a copy of uh, In Darkness Waiting by John Shelley. Shirley. Great, Shirley. Great cover, by the way. Yeah. Very cool. Jack, do you know what this is? Do you know what off season is? I know Jack Ketchum. But okay. I don't know off season. Uh, do I? What, what's the no? Give us a little insight into what off season is by Jack Ketchum, the it's, ultimate horror novel. It's really controversial because it was done in um, '81. It's about a group of people vacationing in the woods, and then they get in, they uh, encounter a redneck inbred family, and it's super violent. It's super intense. And at, at when it was released at at the, at the at that time, it was like not allowed in bookstores because it was it has it has scenes in it like people biting off genitals and stuff oh wow wow at, at, at that yeah at that at that time nobody was doing that so it was a yeah huge, yeah and if you were it was a it was slapped a r a nc or x rating at the time x, you know, yep, if it was a right. movie yeah wow, wow. yeah so oh, i have cool. all, my, all my book stuff is right here and then all the like media is in the is in the closet right on cool yeah What's it? What's your? Uh, do you have an all-time favorite horror film? I mean, besides Pin, I don't really know if there is. So it it is Pin. It is Pin. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I'm speaking from just all time, um, it's hard to. I mean, Session Nine is one of my favorite movies. I broke that down scene by scene on podcasting after dark. We watched that together recently. We okay. did. In, in fact, I just uh, I was in New I was in Boston, and. I saw the uh, was it Danvers? 
mental mental hospital. Yeah. 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 So it's still there. I guess elements of it are still there. They've turned some of it into like um uh like a like a mall type of thing where there's shops oh. and such. I'm like, do you wow. know what used to be here? Yeah. <laughs> session nine, session nine, if you if everyone listening, if you've never seen it, that is in my opinion, and Chris maybe you'll agree, one of the best modern psychological horror films. Yep. And then uh some well, I guess it is technically a horror movie, a uh, hard hard candy. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. But but again, it you know, and I and I, I will apologize because I when Chris said Star Eighty is on his list of horror, I'm like, I don't know about that. I don't agree with that. Now I take it back. I take it back. You want us over, Chris. You want me over. You yeah. want me over. Yep. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um Chris, thanks so much for joining us today on this. Yeah epic deep dive into obscure 80s horror this has been a lot of fun um i feel like i, I feel like this is great because this, this is like i feel like i learned a lot and i was able to really you know deep dive into a lot of it um so chris if people would like to learn more about you and maybe see see some of your epic 80s interviews um your voice actor interviews where can people find you yeah, it's all just on my YouTube. It's under my it's under my name, just Chris Mack. Uh, and then I'm I post a lot of stuff involving. Uh, I do a lot of interviews correlated to all the official Fire Emblem subreddits, uh, Fire Emblem Heroes, uh, Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem Three Houses, all that. Um, yeah, it's just on, just all under my name. That's awesome. And then on the uh, on the social media front, are you active on any platforms more than others? Do you people follow yeah. you? Yep, just my Instagram. It's all one word, Chris Mayak, and my Twitter. I don't use it as much, but um, it just it's Chris Mayak, Chris underscore Mayak, and that's predominantly what I use the most. Got it. Have you found that that sort of growing your community because you know you you've grown an extensive community on on YouTube in a, in a short short amount of time, uh, that that just kind of happened organically, or did you feel like you had to put a lot of a lot of work in to find your people? Uh, it kind of happened organically. Um, especially sad to say after uh tawny katane passed away and i was getting like that 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 interview blew up and that that was one big thing um but just yeah depending on who it is that i get which voice actor or who it is in general then it'll just naturally get a lot of attention um your tawny interview i i watched like most of it because you had did you have several parts with her did she come back am i making that up she was supposed to, but then we didn't get to reconnect before she passed. So okay, but that she, you know, she was obviously very taken with you, and yeah. you know, and you can really see that. Like there, there's this, there's this very connection, and she's, you know, um, you can kind of see that she has this like loneliness, and she's just so happy to connect with somebody who, who genuinely knows her and yeah. and her and her journey. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a what a talented performer, and what a bummer. Yeah. She passed yeah. Away. But, yeah. But but what a great op what a great opportunity for you to talk to her. Um, I broke down Witchboard on podcasting oh. after dark, and uh, yeah. and, and she and we love that movie. And Bump yep. in the Night, by the way, is a kick ass song too. By the way, yeah. <laughs> Bump in the night, Chris. I I'm like okay. Well, when's the next time you're coming on? But uh, <laughs> at the very least, let's make this a regular thing, an annual thing. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Awesome. Yep. K-I-T. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> that means keep in touch from the 
from the 90s or whatever. I don't know. We wrote How that in you? people's yearbooks. B-R-B-K-I-T. <laughs> B-R-B, yeah. Um, yeah, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Great choices. And uh, talk to you soon. Great work, guys. I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.